Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. We're an oral service, which is, I think, Welcome a much better to- oral service than many others. You know, we're, we're oral service. Oral. How can I we help are, you? Yeah, we are giving good oral service, don't you think? <laughs> I think that should be our Thank new you yourself. Um, our new title, Chick Street, the oral service that you never knew you needed. <laughs> <laughs> serving, <sighs> serving the community orally since 2020. <laughs> to Chickstree, the podcast where we discuss in detail chickens Ooh. in history. <laughs> Imagine if we did. Every every episode is about chickens of yore. <laughs> Remember that? Remember Big Hen, Little Hen? The, uh, the, lady, the, the female oh. chicken... On, uh, we could do a whole episode on what came first, the chicken or the egg. Absolutely, we could do every episode on what came first, <laughs> the chicken or the egg. What was Foghorn Leghorn? I know that was a man, but there was a, 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 she, a chicken, so, a rooster. She, she was a hen. She, uh, she would go, uh, yes, <laughs> <laughs> Miss Prissy, Miss Priss, yes. When I used to live with Tom, he had a bit of the case of the Miss Prissies about him. Right. He would go, he would go, oh, and I'd go, oh, you sound like the chicken out of fog on <laughs> Chickens in history. <laughs> and that was our 800th episode about chickens in history. history. Thanks for joining Thanks us. Thanks for joining us. Today we're going to talk about women in history, though. Yeah, otherwise known as chicks. Yeah, something different. What's been going on with you this week before we get stuck into women in fashion? I'll just tell you something that I've done I um, that I think you'll find really interesting and so okay. will our listeners. Yeah. There is a, I don't even know what to call it, a charity or I don't know what, but it's called Kiva, K-I-V-A. Did you put me onto this? Someone has put me onto this and it is a great idea. I want you all to go and look it up, K-I-V-A. So what it is, I think it's like a charity, but it is a charity, but it's supporting women around the world. It's called Kiva, K-I-V-A. And what I think Lisa Spunner got us onto it, got me onto it. And what you do is you can do a subscription or you can just do a one-off payment, but you loan money to women around the world. And I put $25 in and I've just received $17 back like m- months later from the woman. Oh, that it's, that's beautiful. So they want to repay you, but she's from Uganda, this woman. That is and so I've seen a photo of the woman good. that's paid me back. Like she's she's started to pay me back. And I think, God, how do I stop them from paying me back? But it's not about that. It's about empowerment. It's yeah. about them being able to pay you back yeah, and wanting to pay you back. That's right. To pay people back that you, you owe. Yeah. That's right. It's mm. you don't owe them anything but a business transaction. But you were there in the first place to help them get on get back on their feet or get on their feet or um help them through lockdowns. And it's a really great initiative. And it's 
it's incredible. Like it makes you feel good. It makes them feel good and it helps. It just helps. That's so awesome. Get into it. I yeah. will. Absolutely. Yeah. What an awesome idea. Um, speaking of women, yeah. I, um, I watched the last episode of Wentworth mm-hmm. forever mm-hmm. and I was really disappointed in it. It was oh. really, really just a really disappointing ending. It was a bit useless. Okay, yeah. And a bit soapy. You know, like they've kind of, you know how all soaps have a bomb or a flood or a drought or, uh, you know. Was there a like fire? Acid. Yes. There was yeah. a bomb. Oh, a it's bomb. Like, oh, in please. the prisons. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then they just left it. But it has started me to go back to season one. Right. Again. Because I actually didn't watch anything from season two till about season six. Oh, so okay. there's a whole chunk of Wentworth that I've missed. So I've gone back to season one because I barely remember season one. Yeah. And the funny thing is I remember watching a little bit of it with you at Treetops at Wollombi. Do you remember oh, that place God. that my friends owned in Wollombi? And yes. And, and that back in the day that's when my friend would burn discs for me of yes. Shows that's right from Foxtel or something, you know. I couldn't yeah. afford those kind of things, so yeah. Um, it was funny because we got such a shock at the ending, and you were mortified by the violence of the last episode. Yeah, I, I, I remember a lot of blood. Mm. I, I haven't gotten there yet, but I'm right. vaguely remembering what happens in the end of season one, but it was enough for you to not go on. Yeah, okay. And I kind of didn't go on either, but not for the same reason. Just I think maybe my friend just stopped burning me discs. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you couldn't get it. You couldn't access it anymore. I I started rewatching. I don't. I think might be actually might be a new season. But um, Stan Grant does Crimes That Shook Australia, mm-hmm. and it's um, I think it's a new season because I I do remember seeing um, some some older episodes. But I watched one last night, and I don't know why I decided to watch this last night just before I went to bed. Um, mm. Getting back into my old habits. Of watching yeah. crime. Yeah. But um a woman by the name of Catherine Mary Knight, and she's actually the first woman in Australia to be given a life sentence without oh, parole. Okay. So she she murders her husband and or her boyfriend actually, they're not married. Um, and she he heads decapitates. Yes. Decapitates. Decapitates. Beheading was what the royalty did. (laughs) She decapitates him. She does some really horrendous things to his body and she puts his head in a saucepan and um, she also cooks Cooks it up. Two steaks um, made of his buttocks and puts it on a plate and then puts the names of his family members that she thinks should eat these beautifully prepared meals that she's made. Did they eat eat them? No, it was all kind of staged, like it was sort of set up. And then she tries to. She's mental. Take an an overdose of pills, but she's found. Um, And, yeah, it was just horrendous. Yeah, wow. What year was that? It was 2000. Oh, okay, so only 21 years ago. Yeah, which is is the first woman to receive a life sentence. Mm. Well, I'd say that was pretty warranted. (laughs) Well... 
I think so. I would have given her a couple of life sentences, one for each cheek. Yeah, yeah. Like, what it's a hideous thing to do. Pretty evil woman and then they go into sort yes. of her background of about stuff that she's done to past boyfriends and just mm. it was a very it's a very interesting take on domestic violence when the woman is the perpetrator. Yeah. And she's, yeah. she's actually had a string of past relationships and victims of her mm. abuse that have come mm-hmm. forward and were there to sort of testify um, and, yeah. you know, about three or four men who basically come forward and say, yes, yeah, she used to abuse me physically, mentally. Mm. Um, she was not, she was very unhinged. Yeah, she'd, mm. get, she'd get physically violent with them. She worked at an abattoir, so she knew her yeah. way around knives and, oh, it was just, yeah. just a just a real glitch in the system. Yeah, yeah. One. Yep, absolutely. Well, you know, they are born broken. They really yeah. are. Their brains yeah. are not right. No. And they never have been. There's a great article I read about children who are born sociopaths, you know, and how early you can get onto it and start the treatment. Mm, um, mm-hmm. it, it was in Time magazine. It was a very long, you know, in Time magazines, they have like articles that go for pages. Pages and pages, yeah, yep. Yeah, uh, it was one of those. It was such a fascinating, like just how early it can happen. Yeah. You know, they can recognise sociopathy yes. in a human and how much the difference is made by whether the parents will admit it or not, and let them go and be, I guess, imprisoned because you have to, you have to put, get them out of society. society. Like these are the kids who kill animals and, yeah. and you know, yeah. torture insects and things like that. Like, yes. you know, do dreadful things to their little siblings and things yeah. like that. And yeah. a lot of parents, a lot of parents just let it go, going, they'll grow out of it, blah, blah, blah. These are the people, the adults in our lives who go on and yeah. do the most hideous, heinous crimes. Mm. So the whole mm. article is about how, you know, working together to accept that sociopath brain. Um, how interesting. Yeah, but you do have to keep them away from society. Yeah. Probably forever because they're unrehabilitated. Yes. Rehabilitatable. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Inter- fascinating. Yeah. It is. It is. The psychology of it. I think that's, you know, yeah, you know, I've said it before, but that's why I love the true crime stuff because I'm like, what, yeah. why did she do that? Like, that is yeah. such a it's the awful crime that she did. Um, and, yeah, like as a just to do that to another human being. Anyway, yeah. so then to just sort of cleanse my brain, I found a new t- hobby that I that I thoroughly enjoy, and you kind of got me onto it. But I have been spending hours on um, Ripper Ride, mm. looking mm. at places, daydreaming of places, and I we can't book because they're always booked out. Oh, you mm. booked something? No, I've booked mm. some. I've what I've done, and this is what I'm gonna. This is my new thing. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna book a, uh, something each month. So if you think so, you might have to wait until the first one comes because there's they are booked out. But then eventually we'll have somewhere to go each month. God, it's fun to have a look at these little places. There's so many beautiful little because, places now. Yeah, it's a good little. What do you call it? Um, amalgamation of social media with mm-hmm. like what they've done is they've got influencers to to go and stay in these places and they've done these little stories, stories. on them and yeah. incredible photos and things that you know just so much better than looking at you know um 
homestay or whatever it yes. is, you know, yeah. Yeah. the Airbnbs where someone's taken a shit photo of a bed. Yeah, and Airbnb, I've always had problems with the, with the search on Airbnb. You can never yeah. find what you're looking for. What you're looking for. That's right. You you can put in dog-friendly. All of a sudden it stops it and, and Stays does it as well. It'll show you all these non-dog-friendly and when you, you know, you've not realised because you put the filter on yeah. and then you've gone, oh, that place is perfect and you go to book it and they're like, oh, no, it's not it's not pet friendly. Yeah. What? Come on. How'd that happen? So yeah, that's fun. Don't. So I do rec- I do recommend that to just pop in a few filters and then just go nuts. Have a look at some of the places. They're amazing and really reasonable. And a lot of them are shared properties like you, you know, like a little little tiny house in the back of a farm or something. So Yeah, that would be really good. What what have you been doing this week? Anything exciting to report? Besides oh, your still exhausted thing? from, you know, going out. <laughs> Went out with some friends on the weekend and got exhausted. <laughs> but it, the good thing is we all got a bit exhausted. Yeah. Although I get more exhausted quicker than anyone else, which is really fucking annoying. You know, it's just nice to – it's actually nice to have friends who are kind of on the same, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and last night I went out for dinner with an old work colleague and we had a really early dinner. <laughs> Nice. And then we went and got an ice cream afterwards. So we're walking up and down Chapel Street and I've realised I've moved to Chapel Street way too old. You know, like this is something that I would have really enjoyed yeah. younger. Yeah. You know, when I could stay out and kind of but no, it was just that um that whole kids. <laughs> if you are loving this podcast, why don't you rate and review us that's it also follow us now i think it's called follows not subscribe anymore there's a little plus button just push it follow us and you'll get a little tick and we'll be like there you go followed yeah give us five stars also you can follow us on instagram we're at chickstery underscore podcast and also now on tiktok because that's what all the cool kids are doing yeah at chickstery podcast ratchet Yeah, this week mm. we have women in fashion. We do. We've got a little. I mean, and it's quite um, fitting, seeing as I've got a got no bra on. I've got not a scaring oh. of makeup on, and I've got an old oh. an old um, caftan that I've had for quite a few years. <laughs> oh, I am a fashion yes. icon. I've got, I've got my caftan on today from South Africa. Nice. That I bought as soon as I got out of I'm a Celebrity. I was in the local town and Hootsbreit, it's called, and I bought a, this from one of the local vendors. It was oh, quite that's nice. Thought, oh, this is quite nice. It's been made beautifully. Yeah, nice. It's very good quality. Good. Do you have a bra on? Yeah. I do. I have oh, to. That's good. Otherwise, you know, I could hurt people. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, I've got a little article that I was reading mm-hmm. and I thought that was this was an interesting little article about fashion. Women's women's outfits. Sorry, women. <laughs> yeah. Women's outfit change. Here we go again. <laughs> Are you ready? Yep. Here we go. Yeah. Women's outfit choices are based on their personal emotions. Yeah, while I agree. Men, while men tend to choose outfits according to how other people view them. A global study has revealed that women choose the clothes they wear depending on how they make them feel. 
the data showed that women in, in the UK, so it was a UK study, mm-hmm. decide what to wear based on feelings of confidence, which is 58%, happiness, 40%, mm-hmm. and empowerment, only 16%. Um, meanwhile, British men are mo- more likely to base their outfit choices according to how their peers, particularly in the workplace, view them. Um, then it goes on about men and for a bit that, you know, they feel more professional. This is a very right. important thing for men, yes. not so important for women, which is a real shame, I think, because, you know, we're so new really into mm. the workforce that mm-hmm. mm. it's not something that's as dominant for us yet. Yeah, and it would have been a, a sense of status. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. The study also looked into the impact that clothes can have on a person's mental well-being. Mm. revealing that outfit choices tend to encourage people to try new things and can even help reduce stress. Isn't that amazing what a piece of clothing can do, yeah. what a garment yeah. can do? It is, and, you know, because I, I follow Trini um, from Trini and Susanna and she is really tapped into that, you know. She's all about kind of wearing different colours to lift your mood or, mm. you know, if you're feeling tired and you're feeling crappy, like put on something sparkly, put on some sequins, like pop on a red lip and it just lifts your mood. Like, Yeah, it is quite amazing how, you know, especially in lockdown, I've really looked forward to doing any kind of work because I've had to do it from home. But mm. it's always felt really good to get dressed up yeah yeah you know it it does lift your mood so yeah I found that article quite yeah interesting interesting. but it did I did I did find a few pictures and things like that and I can't show them went right back to like 5 BC you know 500 Mm. where um it was all about just draping (laughs) a bit of material over yourself and you know, moving on to, you know, that was all in Greece, obviously, all yes. those kind of places. And then how absolutely ridiculous we got, you know, through the centuries, you know, mm. especially royalty, especially, um, but just the layers and layers and layers of cloth that we found mandatory mm. to wear yeah. as women. Yes. Like absolutely ridiculous. And, you know, you know my thoughts on corsets and, mm-hmm. you know, our we know our thoughts. You guys know our thoughts on corsets. Yes. Like, you know, the things that women have done to themselves in the, for the sake of fashion, in the name of fashion, is, to be honest, fucking crazy in my <laughs> eyes. Like, yeah, Jesus, what and we've done. And under the patriarch as well, like a lot of those, exactly. a lot of the things are for the desirability of, of man or not, you know. It's like yeah. trying to cover something up so they're not seen yes. as being, you know, sexual or making something more pronounced. So we are sexual. So, like, God, no wonder we're freaking confused. Yeah, well, that's right. You've got religion making you cover up your entire yeah. body, yeah. skin showing as little skin as you can possibly you've got other cultures who show absolutely everything and it's really got nothing to do with religion or anything or or promiscuity yeah or promiscuity it's about I don't even know what that's about why why do they have no tops on and why? Oh, because they probably, that's the way we were born that's why (laughs) we were the ones that covered it up why do they 
hang on, why do those animals have, don't have, have a top on? Have, yeah. <laughs> and no, like, you know, like tribe, that's how we're yeah. supposed to be, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And we're the ones that fuck that shit up. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. And, anyway. and it, yeah, and it's all stemmed from having to not not having the physical attributes to to keep us warm or probably not at move being as active as we probably should be. Other animals are that can regulate their temperature. So, you know, the yeah. introduction of like animal skins and all of yeah. those sorts of things would have been for um you know, for for some practical reasons, but then it just got practical. fucking stupid. Yeah. So my chick in the now yeah. today yeah. is the founder. She's a fashion designer. Yes. And she has founded a swimwear line mm-hmm. called Native Swimwear Australia. Her name is Natalie Cunningham. Um, I'll tell you a bit about Native Swimwear first. It's a multi-award winning Australian Aboriginal luxury fashion label. The company is the first Aboriginal fashion label in history to showcase at New York Fashion Week in 2015. Wow. Yep. Leading the way in sustainability and fair trade, all garments are created with quality sustainable fabrics and silk and exclusive licences to original artwork that ensures the artists and their communities benefit from the sales. So Natalie Cunningham lives with her family on Gubby Gubby Country in the stunning subtropical foothills of the Glasshouse Mountains on the Sunshine Coast in Queensland. As a proud Nakurilma woman mm-hmm. and, and Biripi woman, sorry, Natalie's creative process explores ancient First Nations wisdom told through bold and colour visual prints. She draws from her surroundings to develop unique and empowering pieces for active and poolside glamour, oh. including swimwear, resort wear, active wear and accessories. <laughs> Each garment has been designed with inspiration from the oldest living culture in the world, the Aboriginal culture. Wow. And Natalie's own experience through motherhood. Her designs feature clever confidence boosting support and weaving, as well as UV 50 plus sun and chlorine protection. So she's um, also on the board of the Queensland Fashion Council and her achievements are quite significant and they are quite significant. Like they go back from 2013. She's just wins, 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 wins. Um, <laughs> Melbourne Fashion Week. Amazing. She's finalist of Reconciliation Awards. Um, yeah, she's amazing. She's an incredible woman. Um, and her swimwear really is quite beautiful and she's gone more in as well into loungewear. And, but, yeah, yeah. Um, it's I think it'd be it's good to you know showcase these kind of labels because yes. you want to get yourself a really nice cosy because we live in a country where you know half of the year we're in cosies yeah. and why not make it sustainable why not make it local why mm. not make it you know um fair trade why yeah. not make it with a design on it that does feature the our old the oldest culture in the world yeah so and, you know. yeah and you don't see a lot of aboriginal print prints in textiles you know no. that, that is outside of gimmicky souvenir shops you know but but there's That's so right. many beautiful colorful 
yeah. prints that we could be. And we really need to start. Yeah. We really That's need to start great. showcasing these artists and having them make textiles, like buying their designs and paying for it properly, um, having these designs in our fashion. You know, and we set, it would set us apart, you know, for fashion that, that you know where that comes from. That comes yeah. from Australia. Yes. It comes from Indigenous people yeah. in Australia. So I highly recommend and I think I'll be getting myself a nice native swimmer Australia cosy. Fabulous. What was her name again? Her name's Natalie Cunningham. Well, Natalie Cunningham, we bloody salute you. Salute you. So my chick, my chick in history today is somebody who I had never heard of. I did a bit of a, I went away on the weekend with, uh, I was with three gay men and I Mm -hmm. asked them if they had heard of this woman Mm -hmm. and they had, which was not surprising. Uh, And they knew quite a bit actually. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh yeah, have you read her book? Have you read? I was like, oh, okay, no. Uh, So she was, she was making stuff around the same time as uh, Chanel and oh. uh in in France but um but yeah. but yeah funny that we don't we we have we don't know we haven't heard of her so her name is Elsa Luisa Maria Schiaparelli how do you spell her last name s c h i a p a r e l i i've never heard of her either she was born in 1890 in rome yep. italy she came from a pretty cultural family her dad studied the Islamic world and the Middle Ages, and he was also an authority on Sanskrit and a curator of medieval manuscripts. Her uncle was an astronomer, and she also had a distant cousin who was a noted Egyptologist. So lots going on in that family. Mm, a lot. As a child, she was always searching for adventure, and she was prone to playing pranks on her family. In her bi- biography, she writes about one time not being able to attend her parents' dinner party, so she retaliated by opening a jar of fleas under the dinner table, which set off an itching episode among the guests before they fled the scene. <laughs> Who fled the scene, the guests or the fleas? The guests. <laughs> okay. The flea stayed. The flea stayed. (laughs) For dessert. She was sent to a convent boarding school in Switzerland for being naughty uh, and when she got there she hated it so decided that she'd go on a hunger strike uh, so that her parents would come and pick her up, which they did, and they took her back home. So she returned to live with her parents but she hated it. Um, A friend of hers offered her a trip to an English country house to look after orphan children. So she thought, this sounds good. She didn't last there long either but and decided to return back to Italy. But on her way back to Italy, she decided to stay a little bit longer in the stopover city of Paris. So she stays in Paris for a while and she kind of starts to fall in love with the couture houses and the fashion and she sort of starts to see this sort of, you know, fashionista world happening in Mm. Paris. But she does eventually return back to Rome. Um, Her parents try to force her to marry a wealthy Russian guy. She doesn't want a bar of it. So she flees to London to escape the arranged marriage. Good. Good on her. her. When she's in London, she attends a lecture on theosophy. Theosophy? Yeah, so theosophy. (laughs) Theosophy is a religion established in the United States during the 19th century. It's part of the occult stream of Western esotericism. 
It draws upon older European philosophies such as Neoplatonism and Asian religions such as Hinduism, Hinduism and Buddhism. So anyway, mm-hmm. she meets the lecturer. She falls head over heels in love with him, and they marry the day after meeting. Seems legit. So this guy's a bit weird. His name is Willem DeWent, uh, and he tries to pass himself off as a detective, a criminal psychologist, a doctor, a lecturer, uh, but he's actually a con man, and he claims to have psychic powers and numerous academic credentials. But Elsa kind of becomes his promoter and tries to make him famous, and the couple are forced to leave England after he is deported following his conviction for practicing fortune telling, which is illegal at the time, so they move Isn't around. That funny that it's not that that's not illegal anymore. I know, and that it was. It's, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you know, free speech, free speech. But my God, people are making still to this day yeah. money. Yes. On lying, exactly making shit up. Yeah. Yeah, there's no no way you can prove the authenticity of the service no. that these no. people are offering. So I kind of understand it. I kind of down with it. Yeah, I yeah, realize me too. It. But at the same time, it you know it, it just needs to come with a warning. I guess you know they should be made mm. to say this may or may not be true. What I'm about to tell you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They had to do that. <laughs> what I'm about to tell you may or may not be true. That'll be two hundred and fifty dollars. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so they move around a little bit um, and they end up settling in America. Willem rents some offices and starts the Bureau of Psychology <laughs> where he's hoped to achieve fame and fortune through his paranormal and consulting work. And Elsa works in a boutique selling French fashion. During this right. period, Willem comes under su- surveillance of the FBI, not only for his dubious professional practices, but also on suspicion of anti-British and pro-German allegiance during wartime. The pair admit that they were Bolshevik sympathisers and communists, and Elsa even admits to knowing how to assemble explosive devices. Wow, Elsa. They were both spared, I love this, they were both spared prosecution or deportation because the authorities concluded that such admissions given so freely were more indicative of foolish grandstanding than evidence of individuals who were a threat to society. So they basically just thought they were a bit dumb. Wow. (laughs) Rather than. I wonder if they meant to do that. Rather than actually. Yeah, maybe, maybe. So they moved to Boston. They kind of always seem to be sort of escaping some kind of the law or something. So um, moved to Boston. They have a child in 1920 and almost immediately Willem leaves, leaves Elsa. Great guy. And her daughter then grows up. Daughter then grows up. um, And any time her daughter asks about. Um, her dad, Elsa, says that he's dead. So Elsa returns to New York um, and she starts really getting into art and the surrealist movement after a chance mm. meeting with the wife of an artist during a, a boat voyage back to New York. She makes friends with the New York art crowd and they're all at the time moving to France because it's really popular and really cool well that's where Coco probably was so she's like right well I'm gonna move to France too so she sets herself and her daughter up in a really expensive apartment in a fashionable quarter of the city she has servants she has a cook she has a maid she's receiving money from her family from her mum is still sending her money so she doesn't really need to work but she does want to have an independent income so her friend suggests that she should get into selling French couture to America 
America. This doesn't really take off, but it does pique her interest in uh, fashion as a business and maybe a, a way for her to earn money. And it also introduces her to the French couturier Paul Pirouette. Now, he's actually quite a revolutionist in fashion. He is responsible for getting rid of the petticoat in 1903 and then in 1906 he did the same with the corset. So he's kind of like the early, earliest sort of flapper dresses of having straight dresses that just were drapey not fitted yeah and so Elsa becomes friends with him she starts dabbling in writing and gold sculpting and she also starts making her uh, clothes for herself and two of her closest friends pirouette noted um, notes her talent and he was the first to encourage her to design clothes as an outlet for her artistic flair So she's got no formal training, she has no technical skills in dressmaking and she just relies on impulse of the moment and inspiration. She drapes fabric directly onto the body, sometimes using herself as the model Uh, and this is following the technique that she learnt from Pirette who had created garments by manipulating and draping. So with encouragements from Pirette, Elsa decides to start her own own fashion house and she has a few false starts but then in 1927, she launches her first um, collection of knitwear using a special double-layered stitch created by Armenian refugees. Mm. And her sweaters featured surrealist tromploy images. And tromploy is an art technique that uses realistic imagery to create an optical illusion. So you know when you see those pictures of two faces looking at each other but it actually creates a vase? Yeah. Yeah. It's that kind of art that she was really into. Is it a horse or is it a rabbit? Exactly. Exactly. I love that image. She was one of the first designers to uh, develop the wrap dress. (gasps) I hate the wrap dress, but yeah. Taking inspiration. I have no waist. Taking inspiration from aprons to produce a design that would accommodate and flatter all female body types. Mm Mm-hmm. Go, girl. Go, girl. So although her first designs appeared in Vogue, the business really took off with an idea she had for a pattern that gave the impression of a scarf wrapped around the wearer's neck. She also included avant-garde designs such as the so-called divided skirt. So it was sort of um, a pleated short, one of the first of its kind proposed for women. And in 1931, she shocked the tennis world when her (gasps) design was worn by Lily D. Alvarez at Wimbledon. Wimbledon, not Wimbledon. Wimbledon. I was going to say she didn't. She didn't invent the netball skirt, did she? The scorts. She invented scorts. Scorts is great. Netball, netball pleats, pleated skirts. Oh no, out, no, no, no! Ugly. No, it, ugly was, it was divided. It's a divided skirt, so it had yeah. a pleat in it. During prohibition in the United States, she also popularly, popularly, popular, pop, popularly. <laughs> It's a hard word to say. Popularly. 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 Okay, I'm not saying that word. During- popularly. Popularly. She. <laughs> during, during the prohibition in uh, United States, she also 
had a dress called the Speakeasy Dress, which provided a hidden pocket for a flask for alcoholic beverages. Oh. In 1932. That's very helpful. Thank you very much, Elsa. Thank you very much. That was maybe the first pocket in a dress (gasps) and now women around the world. We still don't have enough. We still don't have enough, exactly. Although can I just interject for a minute there because Mm -hmm. I did see something on TikTok probably um, about why um, handbags were invented and apparently we were big into pockets and the patriarch brought took the pockets away from us. So, I mean, there's a whole Why? heap of story about that, but um, it's basically men having control, you know, and taking the pockets, making designs with no no pockets at all or pathetic pockets or pretend pockets. Pretend pockets. And so women started to then carry something to put their yeah. hands in and that became a fashion in itself. Because what, what could possibly women need to put in their pockets? Yeah, they exactly. Didn't anything. And, they didn't need anything. And whatever they were putting in their pockets, the men didn't like it because they couldn't see what were in their pockets. They could be hiding spells in there. Oh, my so gosh. Get poisons, rid of them. Poisons. So by 1932, she had 400 employees producing 7,000 to 8,000 garments a year from her uh, expanded quarters in Paris and her haute couture was quickly expanding into jewellery, perfume, cosmetics, lingerie and swimsuits and she was becoming known for her quirky designs including a purse in the shape of a telephone. Purse in the shape of a telephone. Telephone. Some of her other... (laughs) Some of her other trademark looks were uh, offering the first clothes with visible zippers. Very fashion forward. Very. Rather than being concealed, zippers became a key element of her designs, uh, visibly fastening necklines and running down sleeves and skirts. She was also known for her unusual buttons, which could resemble candlesticks, playing cards, ships, crowns, mirrors and crickets or silver tambourines and silk-covered carrots and cauliflowers. Yeah, I'm really not into her fashion at all. Oh, you wait. She also invented the colour shocking pink. Oh, yeah, I don't mind a shocking pink. I love a nail colour. It was the sensation of the fashion world and would become one of her signature colours. What she's probably most renowned for, though, is merging art and fashion by collaborating with a number of contemporary artists, most famously... Salvador Dali. Mm, now I'm starting to remember her. Yes. Yeah. She yeah. also collaborated with the artist Jean Cocteau to produce two of her most notable art-themed designs. One was an evening jacket which was embroidered with a female figure with one hand caressing the waist of the wearer and a long evening coat featuring two profiles facing each other creating the optical illusion of a vase of roses. I remember that. I remember both of those Mm -hmm. fashions. The designs she produced in collaboration with Dali are among her best known. So she didn't formally name her designs, but over time people have given 
these designs names and there's there's four kind of to, to point out one was called the lobster dress and it was a white silk evening dress with a crimson waistband featuring a large lobster painted by Dali onto the skirt it was famously worn by Wallace Simpson shortly before her marriage to Edward the yep. there's also the tears dress so it was a slender pale blue evening gown printed with a Dali design of rips and tears Worn with a thigh-length veil with real tears, carefully cut out and lined in pink and magenta. The pink was intended to give the illusion of torn animal flesh. The tears printed to represent fur on the reverse of the fabric and suggest that the dress was made of animal skin turned inside out. Wow. Then there was a skeleton dress, which was a stark black crepe dress, uh, which used quilting to create padded ribs, spine and leg bones. Wow. Okay. Yeah, she's very out there. Yeah, she's very out there. And then most famously um, was the shoe hat. And if you look at, if you look, if you Google that and look it up. Oh, I've never seen that before. That is Aegis. Aegis. That is disgust. That is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. It's literally a shoe on a fucking head. <laughs> yes, it is literally that. So Dali was photographed by his wife with one of her slippers balanced on his head. So in 1937, he sketched the designs for a shoe hat for Elsa. The hat, shaped like a woman's high-heeled shoe, had the heels standing straight up and the toe tilted over the wearer's forehead disgusting i think it's it's right it's a bit phallic as well yeah i think it's great bring that back that is is not great at all (laughs) that is ridiculous but Uh, fashion fashion what do i know exactly put a fucking shoe on your head and call it fashion and ba-dum ba-dum bump Jesus. She also designed wardrobes for several films, including Zaza Gabor's outfit in the 1952 Zaza. Zaza. <laughs> Say it. Zaza. Say her name properly. Zaza. That's it. Zaza, darling. She would tell you herself. It's Zaza, darling. Zaza, darling. For the 1952 film Moulin Rouge. Uh, Moulin Rouge did win an Academy Award for costume design, although Elsa's role in costuming the leading lady went unacknowledged. Oh. Surprise, surprise. Surprise, surprise, surprise. In 1939, when France declared war on Germany, she moved back to New York, uh, where rather than designing, she involved herself with war-related volunteer activities, including providing service as a nurse's aide at uh, Mm. Bellevue Hospital. Her design house remained open in France, but collections were prepared by her associates. After four years, at the end of the occupation, she returned to uh, Paris to resume her career. While her return was hailed by the press, she was and she was able to further expand into the American market, she was eclipsed by the emergence of a new generation of couturers, mm. most notably Kristen Dior and Christabel mm. Balenciaga. Yeah. It's called yeah. Fashion Darling. Look it up. Look it up. Yeah, exactly. In 1947, Dior, like Schiaparelli's 20 years earlier, captivated America and Europe with what became known as the new look that Mm. too had shock value but of a different kind. 
The House mm. of Schiaparelli struggled in the post-war period and Elsa discontinued her couture business in 1951 and finally closed down the heavily indebted design house in December 1954, the same year that her great rival Coco Chanel returned. The failure of her business meant that Schiaparelli's name is not as well remembered as that of her great rival Chanel. But in 1934, time placed Chanel in the second division of fashion, whereas Schiaparelli was one of a handful of houses now at or near the peak of their power as makers of the ultra-modern haute couture. Madder and more original than most of her contemporaries, Madame Schiaparelli is the one to whom the word genius is applied most often. Wow. Well, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm. I'm a genius. I guess. Weird. Weird, but a bit genius. Uh, in 1954, she Pirelli published her autobiography, Shocking Life, and then lived out a comfortable retirement between her Paris apartment and house in Tunisia. She died on the 13th of November, 1973, at the age of 83. Uh, in 2007, Italian businessman Diogo Delaval acquired the brand, but it wasn't until Marco Zanini was appointed in September 2013 that the details of the brand's revival became public. The house today is run by Daniel Rosenberry. He's been running it for the last two years, and Lady Gaga wore a black fitted jacket, red silk ball skirt, and a golden dove brooch to sing the national for, anthem at President for, Joe, yes, Joe yes. Biden's inauguration. inauguration. She did. That that bird was huge. The brooch. Huge. That is, that's a sheer Pirelli. Wow. Among her many contributions to the development of 20th century fashion, Shea Pirelli's fearless challenge to the status quo, incorporation of wit and humour into fashion designing and melding of art with dressmaking rank among the highest. Wow. And you She's could cool. go and purchase your very own Shea Pirelli online yeah. I had a look I'll put up some of the designs on our Instagram because they are hijas but uh it's fashion you, yeah fashion darling look it up you too can look hijas <laughs> <laughs> but you can see that well, you could definitely the mere cost of a million dollars so uh yeah. yeah so that is Elsa very good one I'm glad you used her you did her because you know, there's just so many well-known fashionistas and she's just not well-known enough. But it's funny because I really do remember that big bird on Lady Gaga, that brooch. And yeah. um, I do remember shocking pink. Like I remember the Salvador Dali stuff. So yes. Yes. it's good to know about her. She yeah. is a little-known woman from history. And that's why we do this podcast about chickens in history. That's why we do what we do. McGurk. <laughs> Uh, so that's a pretty good chicken so what are we going to do next week how about we do women in technology okay women in tech women in tech all right we'll see y'all next week okay (laughs) 